So welcome to, we haven't done this in a while. No, we haven't. Before, well, last year. Yeah. Right? So, well, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Uh, so here we are, 2020, and we're doing our podcast in front of a live studio audience. This is the third time we've done it or fourth time we've done it in front of one of your classes. I do get the sense sometimes that you run out of lesson plans and you say, well, I'll call Rob, we'll do a podcast. Dr. Finch, who is our third person on this podcast, said the exact same thing to me. He was taunting me late last night. Yeah, well, he's starting to become a bit of a regular, too. <laughs> right? Yeah, but this isn't his class. Of yeah. <laughs> this is an add-on. Well, yeah, no, but it's always best to be the guest host. You don't have to worry about the equipment. You don't have to come up with the ideas. You can just sit there yeah. and pontificate, right? So we're in front of, again, a live uh, class of Are ours they? here at Are I've seen nothing that seems to indicate that. <laughs> that they're Very alive? quiet. It's very much like, <laughs> hey, my uncles are over. This is great. Now listen to them talk. Oh, good. Yeah, exactly. Mm. You know what's funny? This happens every time, I, and I'm not sure why I continue to invite you back. But why? Uh, uh-huh. Anyways, um, so the purpose of today's podcast, uh, and we don't often do this. We don't often go into it with an actual purpose no. or a specific goal. Nope. But today we're trying a little, something a little different. And we're going to try and focus on Active City, which uh, Dr. Finch um, has a hypothesis about and is testing as it relates to the active economy. And my class has two projects that they're working on. Yep. Uh, so one is to... One of which I'm very disappointed in. The obvious answer there was, why isn't somebody doing an esports venue? Well, isn't that, what, isn't that... Well, let's talk... When the new event centers be built, isn't that going to be part of it? Or no. I wouldn't think so. Okay, well, let's, let's, do, let's not do that. All right, now we'll get to the end then. All right. Okay, yeah. so the first part is we've talked about the active economy and, you know, part of the research, Dr. Finch, that you did is looking at the active economy being split into 10 separate parts and the students are being asked to try to articulate all the specific organizations within that and then to talk about the value that those and the interconnections between them and the ecosystem that they operate within. And we're looking at four specific facilities. Right. Uh, here in a Calgary marketplace, although you could probably extrapolate this to many cities, particularly in a North American context, in that we're building a new event center, mm-hmm. knock on wood, I, I presume that's moving forward. Uh, number two is a proposed field house, which right. to date is still up in the air, and that would potentially go, according to current renderings anyways, at Foothills Park, just north of where McMahon Stadium presently is. Uh, the third facility is McMahon Stadium, which was built 1960, I believe. In 100 days. 100 days. They wow. built McMahon Stadium in 100 days. And then the fourth is Windsport or Canada Olympic Park and the possibility of it going through a bit of an overhaul or right. a, a transformation. And so we're trying to look at the different parts of the active economy, how they connect to and provide value to those four. And then the second project I've got them working on is looking at those four specific facilities that I just made reference to. So the Event Center, McMahon Stadium, Windsport, um, and the Fieldhouse, and how they argue that they provide community value. What's their return on the investment that... Uh, the city of Calgary, the province, whoever is investing in these facilities, why, how do they articulate and argue that there's value to the community in those facilities? So how much is this audience familiar with Active City? Well, I hope very. Okay. Uh, David Finch, Dr. Finch has been here before and we've talked about okay. it. Um, we've certainly made reference to it. And in some respects, it's, a, it's certainly one of the required readings okay. uh, in air quotation marks. Just, uh, just yeah. because I think it's one of the, the best, most unique 
ideas in this sphere that has come up in a long time, which is to break down that barrier of, well, we're not calling it a sport you know, city because sport isn't necessarily inclusive to some. It, and active is far more inclusive. And when you begin to look at that term active and how this seems like a no-brainer, like this seems like a gift day, I'm sorry, that's just how I see it. Um, but they're, you know, we're all familiar with it now, right? Yeah, and and again, I, I want to make sure I get you into this conversation. He scares me. That's he hasn't said, oh, good. Okay, he finally <laughs> said something. Yeah, he is alive. Um, so we did talk in this class about the kind of the evolution of Active City and how it really started with a, what we were called a sport business uh, summit, and then we evolved and changed and ebbed and flowed based, on, I think, on our recognition that that was perhaps too limiting of a term. And to your point, um, yes, we believe active is a more appropriate term to be right. more all-encompassing of right. the industry that we talked about. Right. Yep. So, Dr. Finch, can I ask you to kind of provide some comments so that the students as they're preparing because so next Friday they have to come in and talk about the 10 entities within the active economy and how they provide community value and how they interact any words of wisdom you can provide our students as to as they get ready to prepare that for next Friday afternoon or Friday sure. morning um, you know the one thing you should all remember is that all resources are competitive they're scarce so whether it be you know the two big buckets are time and money Right, you have limited time and you have limited money, and so does a private corporation, a nonprofit organization, and uh, and a government, obviously. And so this is competitive. So every dollar that's invested into the quote unquote active economy, regardless of whether it's a private sector organization like a tech startup, CSEC, what have you, um, or public uh, entity like a government, is not being invested somewhere else. Right, and this is the challenge. It, it, if it, you can't rationalize the value of it, it's an expense. You are overhead, right? And the challenge I believe in this city is that the perception of these investments, whether it be a cycle track, whether it be um, well, a field house, the National Sports School was in the news. Just the yesterday. National Sports School pools, it's endless. The X Games are perseived as an expense. It's perceived as a line item as a budget that creates no value. So where are we going to allocate funding that, in fact, generates value? Um, and that might be into areas like education. It might be into areas like tax cuts that, that allegedly create employment. Those are the allocation of resources. So the challenge with this sector as a whole, the active economy sector as a whole, is they've never built a particularly strong business case to rationalize their value because many of us say it's a duh. Of course it creates value. Um, but unfortunately, from a decision-maker perspective, again, whether you're the board of a private sector corporation or whether you're the premier of the province or the mayor of a city or the city councillor, you've got to make decisions based on evidence and data, and therefore we have not done that. And this is one of the things that this project is critical to be able to rationalize. Does the field house, as just extrapolating a single example, does the field house create value for the community? And we need to take a bigger picture of value because most organizations understand the nature of value. So old school, private. I'm, I'm a private sector guy. Old school, I want to see what, what have you done for me lately? How have you generated value for me this quarter? How many units of, of a product have you sold? How much revenue have you generated? If you manage a company like that, 
you have a competitive advantage today. You don't have a sustainable competitive advantage. A sustainable competitive advantage talks about the ability to build an organization that's sustainable. And to do that, you've got to look at multiple points of value in it. And in this context, it's, yes, do we create economic and financial value for a community? Does the field house do that? Does it create human value for a community? Um, and that's defined primarily around the issues of the development of competencies and the acquisition and retention of talent that generates value for a community. Does it create social value for a community? Which is talking about the bridging of networks, the ability to have a community identity. Um, and the last one, is, does it create environmental value for a community? And so the, the, the systematic nature of this value is where we need to step back and say, we're looking at the long game here. And what does this... In, um, this input, because this is all this is, a report Zorus is an input. What outputs does it create and how do you measure those outputs? So when somebody says, take that dollar from the field house and put it for this interchange instead, or put it for snow clearing, or put it for any other item that they're competing for, somebody can stand up and say, no, this creates this type of value and it's more, it's more effective from an investment perspective than snow clearing or that $100 million interchange, because mm-hmm. that literally is the challenge we have as, as an industry. And even to your own, you know, from a student's perspective, these conversations are happening here on campus right now. So there are budget challenges as an academic institution. If, if you only have a finite numbers of dollars, how do you decide to commit so much to the varsity teams? How do you decide to commit so much to our recreation center? What is the return on that investment as opposed to spending it on snow removal, as opposed to spending it on um, an an updated classroom. And so decisions have to be made and prioritized as to what is more or less important. And I would argue, and I think this was perhaps the genesis of the Active City approach, is that we don't think our industry as a whole has done a good enough job. We know it hasn't. um, Of articulating its, its value and I think in part it's this social return on investment that perhaps is the more nebulous and the more difficult. Well, we live in a social media world. Everybody's taking information in bites and pieces and things like that. And, you know, I, you know as I'm, I'm listening to Dr. Finch talk, easy to talk about dollars in, dollars out. That's simple. But then you get into the socially environmental impact. And we know that those have importance to people. But how do you articulate them? How do you make them you know, not to double up on the word, but value, how do you make them value in the conversation? Uh, I mean, I keep coming, always come back to healthcare, that, you know, there's so much value to being an active person. And if we invest in sport and recreation as a part of healthcare, uh, there's value in that. But it's hard because that's so long-term. The return right. on investment yeah, is the 30, 40, is so 50 distal. years, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we've laid the groundwork for the active economy and uh, specific to kind of their first project. But let's let's get right into those four facilities. Mm. And, you know, if we were to assess and identify their value, their return on investment, what they would be. Now, I know, now, Rob, you work for the Calgary yep. Hitmen. So this, yep. you know, you may have to recuse yourself from part of this conversation. I probably should. Don't know if I will, but probably <laughs> should. So let's start. Let's start with the event center. Um, Isn't it an arena? No, it's an officially an event center. I think there's an arena in it. So when did we, when did we, you know, why do we do that? When did we do that? So I suspect that that's, I don't want to say that's marketing, um, but I think in part that's to help people understand the value 
of the center as opposed to just being an arena for millionaire owners with millionaire players. It's an event center that's providing an opportunity for the community to host civic events. Um, that would be my take on it. Well, I, so if I'm going to step back, I think it's flawed to even talk about the event center as an entity. Um, because it's not a standalone event center. If we wanted to parachute this into Airdrie or, you know, in South Calgary and Okotoke somewhere, um, it's a different conversation. It's critical to look at the East Village, to look at the redevelopment of downtown and Victoria Park as a holistic development. Because if you just look at one building, you're missing the point. Because the library made no sense. The entire billion-dollar reinvestment in East Village makes no sense. Any of those investments in isolation make no sense until you look at the broader systematic intention of it. Um, and therefore, the event center is part of a critical part of a puzzle and it can only be assessed as part of that puzzle. So expand on that. What is the critical piece that an event center is playing that is requiring, if I recall correctly, I think it's over $300 million from the Flames ownership and another $300 million from the city of Calgary. So not an insignificant investment of taxpayer dollars. What is the return as it's what you know, you've made? You made the reference to a critical piece of the East Village. If you don't have it there, does the East Village implode or does it benefit? So, from this? so it, again, stepping back and looking at it from a design perspective. So when you're looking at this, what I would encourage you to do, when I taught at Ohio, we actually looked at Calgary Next because they literally launched Calgary Next. Uh, when I was teaching at Ohio. And so I had my equivalent students. Do you want to just maybe talk a little bit about what Calgary Next is? just so we're Calgary all Next age? was the proposed development in West Village that merged essentially the field house funding to a new football, uh, a field house that could convert to a CFL stadium that could also um, double up on the other side of, as an NHL arena. So it was a massive billion-dollar development in the, we in the West Village, but it was in isolation. Um, and so when we assess that, the cr critical reference point for any of you is these are not new decisions, right? And the best way to make an evidence-based decision is to be able to proxy and look at other best-of-class benchmarks that you could look at globally and say, how did that work? Because if it's theory, we are dead in the water. If we think, hey, what if we build this arena and does it make any sense? Well, why don't we look at San Diego? Why don't we look at San Francisco? Why don't we look at Pittsburgh? Why don't we look at Manchester? Why don't we look at Columbus? There's precedence, L.A., of how arenas have been used successfully as part of an anchor for redevelopment, including Edmonton, by the way, and what role it plays from a private sector investment in a stimulation of an entire redevelopment plan relative to disasters, and there are no shortage of disasters of when there has been billion-dollar facilities or infrastructure built in isolation. Glendale uh, is an example. So Phoenix, where the Phoenix Coyotes The Phoenix Coyotes play, where there's a hope and a prayer, right? Um, and there are lots of examples. So when you're looking at this, we don't need to look at theory. We can look at practice. Now, you can't take a wholesale. You can't look at Columbus and say, let, what did the Columbus investment do and how does that parachute blindly into Calgary? You can't. But what you can do is extract the triggers that worked and the things that didn't work. That's just good yeah. evidence-based decision-making. No, I just the, the only thing before we, because I think that's the predominant path, I just want to go back to the, the name event center. And from, no, 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 yeah. from my standpoint, I think it's significant because I think 
we now are forced maybe more so than any other time to look at what are we going to do in 10 years? What are we going to be doing in 20 years? What is it going to be used for? What is, you know, what, where are the gathering places, especially in what we are becoming is more and f more fractured and less and less dependent upon being in the same location? What are the things that are coming? Um, you know, concerts are natural, sporting events are natural. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys saw, but there's a, a tour, the Jurassic Park experience that's coming through venues this year. So we're seeing this evolution of entertainment. We saw that with Cirque du Soleil. We talked about esports, but what you know, what is a facility going to look like? What, or what, sorry, what could it be used for? Uh, will we become more reliant on big places to come together to get our social needs mm -hmm. to, to feel as part of a community we looked at it strictly as an arena through the 70s the 80s and into the 90s but that name i think is is far more than marketing i think it's it's the reality that we're in now when it comes to ticketed events so it's a gathering place for not just the traditional and i think it'll have more significance if we continue so to, to in the social media world and we continue to become isolated individuals i think the natural repulse recourse to that reflex to that is to find a place to come together when am i going to be amongst every you could do this on a computer we could do distant learning here right, right? there's a value to be in the same room and i think society wise i'd like to think that in 10 and 15 years we're going to realize that we're cutting ourselves off from our brothers and sisters we need to find places to come back the event center may not be used the way it's being used today it may be some other use by then mm -hmm. well except except yeah i'm with you 100 percent. so we can look at a lot of different examples of that one being the uh the new library downtown you know when that was proposed in the late 2000s, 2006, seven, yeah. when the early discussions happened, I was like, what are we talking about? A $200 million library. Has somebody not heard of the internet? <laughs> um, um, yeah. what, and if you look at the purpose of the library, it's not a library. It is a community gathering space. It's a place for small business and entrepreneurs and incubators and meetings of groups across the spectrum. That how of how people in cities have reimagined the role of a library as really a community gathering space. And that's exactly the question around the event center. And it's not just the building, but what surrounds right. the building, as, as CMLC and Kate Thompson will, will talk about, that's as critical as anything else. And, and the other thing is the anticipation. The great planners plan. <laughs> and, and let's look at the flaw, and I would argue the flaw, of the saddle dome. Right, so what this, huh. what's the problem with the saddle dome? It's iconic. It put Calgary on the map. It's set. It's designed as a saddle, obviously, um, and it was designed in the late 1970s. Opened in 83. 83. Yeah. 83. What's the problem? What was the lack of foresight the engineering folks had with the saddle dome? Lighting. What's that? Lighting. Lighting the, and the, well, the roof. Capacity. The roof. Sure, sure. It's the a roof wonderful capacity. design, yeah, yeah. but they didn't anticipate. What if things progress and that we need to actually hang uh, infrastructure from the roof to be able to bring Jurassic Park or concerts in the town? Therefore, within less than 20 years, the thing was unable to meet demands of the, of the actual market. So Rob raised an issue, and I think it's a really important issue, around esports, mm -hmm. um, that the, the growth and expansion of esports. What's the biggest challenge with esports today from an infrastructure perspective? What is it? What's it? The connectivity. The connectivity, technology. because yeah. more than anything else, you—it's—it's it's like um, micro trading on Wall Street. If you miss by a microsecond, 
Um, you miss that trade. If you miss a microsecond eSport, you lose $2 million. So the, the in-building connectivity is absolutely imperative. And so retrofitting existing buildings are impossible to do it well. And therefore, you've got to build a building. And you look at these custom developments uh, through the United States and, and China and Korea specifically yep. that are designed explicitly for eSports. It's built around this question of, man, if I miss a microsecond, mm-hmm. I just cost somebody $2 million. Right. So we can, we've got to future-proof this building. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, that's the biggest challenge. I want to go back to a comment that you made, Robin. Sure. So we're having a gentleman from uh, Populous uh, Skype in next week to talk about uh, facility design. And one of the facilities that he'll, I hope, speak about is T-Mobile in Las Vegas. Yep. Um, and apparently what they did there is that the upper deck, they have these platforms um, that are quite large concourse areas um, and go out almost over the ice itself. And what they thought, they were taking kind of an unused area that nobody was buying tickets for and was kind of going unused. And they thought, well, what the heck? And now apparently they're the most sought-after tickets for there. And in part, it's because of that social dynamic where you're not sitting in a specific seat. And in fact, you're almost like at a bar but you're there in the live venue watching the game. And so I think to your point, I suspect that event centers, stadiums, et cetera, will continue to try to fill that role and will have to adapt to that desire I think it's for people to connect. Absolutely. I think it's the biggest challenge. I think um, we're in an, an era that demands unique, but also demands that we all agree that it's unique and that we're all on the same page and we all think it works. Um, to take chances, to take risks. We don't have enough open spaces. Uh, it's very difficult to get people to look at building a bowl and go, well, can we leave some sp- space over here? Um, no, because we can put seats there. But if you look at um, buildings at uh, Nashville, and I don't think it was by design, but ended up with a stage. Mm-hmm. And they ended up with a space that they could bring in country music artists, and that becomes part of the game presentation. Um, same thing in Tampa Bay. They have a big, giant organ at the end. They have... Uh, uh, the big Tesla ball and, and those types of things, uh, what they did in, back to T-Mobile, right? They built that fortress and things like that. That's where we kind of have to think. We, we have to think about spots. We have to think about concourse spaces, again, meeting places. And mm-hmm. um, we're so used to sitting in chairs like these to watch sporting events, and that is probably one of the most dramatic changes we've seen. The institution of bar stools, the institution of you know gathering places. Can we put a hot tub here? Can we do this? <laughs> Can we do that? Um, these are all things that now when you're planning building on some on buildings, you have to somehow incorporate. But also, that's what we know. It's mm-hmm. what we don't know. And it's yeah. who's, gonna pre- who's prepared to take that risk that you talked about. Right. And look, here it's paid off, right? That, that to me is the exciting challenges that move forward. And, and to, you know, to tie that all the way back in, you, it's one thing to drop in an event center into a project like East Village you got to drop in an event center that people want to be at, that yeah. people are proud of, yeah. right? Well, and, and sorry, just... Yeah. So look at... So let's look at how it's going to be used. And, and again, yeah. time is the measure. 41 dates, a uh, regular season for the Flames, mm. right? Nine dates for the Roughnecks, I think that's correct. Currently, yeah. Uh, Hitman is... 30, 30, 34, 30, let's go 36. 34, 36 80s. dates. Yeah. Yeah. So say we're plugging close to 100 dates yeah. for the core CSEC professional sports the last time i looked there were 365 days in a year right we've got 265 days 
that has to be used for something. If the building sends empty, it's like this institution sitting empty in August. It's absolutely stranded capital, right? It makes no sense. No. So what do you use for 265 days to create value? Because if it's only about Johnny Goudreau someday in February, it doesn't make any economic sense, right? right? Or social sense or community sense. It's not providing a return on investment. Right, right. exactly. So this is, I, I think the core 100 days are critical. The 265 days of community value is, is even a bigger question that I would challenge the designers mm-hmm. to really come up with. And designers to the students, planners. Both. I, I, because I think planning is the great forgotten piece, and I think they're different. <laughs> I think there's design, but I think there's planning, too. So you build it, they will come. Right? And, then, you know, all things – you mentioned my time on, on the radio. In, in 2011, I did an eight-part radio documentary on building a building and uh, assuming that the building was coming the next year. I was off a bit. Um, one of the groups that I talked to was Pittsburgh. And you guys won't remember this, but the Penguins were that close to leaving. That close to leaving. And they drafted Sidney Crosby, and they got the casino component to it. But they built that building for, I believe, $350 million, which is incredibly low. But I talked to the president of the Pittsburgh Penguins who was in charge of it, and he said it was all in the planning. We overplanned. We planned, we planned, we planned so that we wouldn't have overruns, we wouldn't have any surprises and things like that. And, and I, I think sometimes we forget about that particular component, mm-hmm. but I think it also speaks to Active City. How? Because we're asking those questions. What's the future going to look like? Yeah. How can everybody use this? We cannot build a hockey rink. You have to build the yeah. event center. And that, again, that's, that's your, going to be your task if you're put into that group, is to articulate and identify a calendar, a one-year calendar. So the one I, I want to make sure we get to all four facilities, and I'm, I'm just cognizant of time. I think the trickier one is McMahon Stadium, um, in part because of, you know, to your point about at least there's 100 dates that an event center has a tenant for. McMahon Stadium's a little different. Mm. Um, you know, there's, a, there's the, the Stampeders games and then a handful of Dinos games. And then after that, it gets a bit murky. There's no murky about it. <laughs> how, do you, how do you articulate a return on investment from an up, for an upgrade or a completely new outdoor stadium? Or can you? It, it, well, first of all, it can't be built as a quote-unquote football stadium, right? The reality is where it's eight dates, maybe nine, you get a playoff game in there, get nine dates plus playoffs. It makes no sense. Throw the Dinos in for four, four or five more dates. Ever been to a Dinos game at McMahon? It's comical uh, because you've got 200 people off of it, which well, they're says all. Well, the guy who went to Ohio, or was working at Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not, well, no, no, he was not at the Ohio, Ohio State. State. Ohio University. He was at oh, Ohio I'm University. Sorry. But still, it's oh, okay. a good example. Yeah. Even there, Ohio University, which, which is not Ohio State, so we're not getting 100,000 people the game. But you get a solid 20,000 people yeah. the game. Yeah. But the stadium is 100 years old and have the exact same ported potties McMahon has, right? So the yeah. reality is whatever that future – so if you step back and say it's not about McMahon because I don't believe it's about McMahon. I think it's about creating a facility that can host a variety of assets and activities. And for uh, nine days of the year, it could be used for a CFL football team, mm-hmm. Right. And the trigger point for that has to be, from my estimation, if you look at precedence, um, has to be actually um, external. 
It can't be rationalized to the dynamics locally. So I don't know. Maybe we should host an Olympics um, <laughs> or Commonwealth Games because you look at how – like I grew up in southern Ontario. David grew up not far from me in St. Catharines. How did they build Tim, Tim Horton Field? Let's look at Tim Horton's Field as a wonderful example. Does any The history of Tim Horton's Field – Iverwin Stadium was a dump that was built prior or during the First World War, right? So how did they rationalize allocating about $150 bucks to build a new CFL stadium yeah. in Hamilton? Pan Am, Pan American Games, 2015. Bingo. Yeah. Only math made sense. Yeah. It's a wonderful CFL facility, but there was no way in hell it was being built for the Tiger Cats. It Oski had to be Weedy. external forces, yeah. which is a measure of value because the federal government... Um, which kicked in mm-hmm. 33% of the funding, if mm-hmm. I recall. The mm-hmm. provincial government, which kicked in significant funding, said there is value in having a facility that for over a period of X number of days can build exposure for this region. But having said that, that's one method. Look at Regina, right? Mosaic, Mosaic is a testament to the love affair of one province with one sports team. I don't know how else you describe it. Because <laughs> what else but is it used for other than the... Concerts. It's had Garth oh, Brooks. Right. Brooks Eagles that. have been there. Yep. Um, you know, it, it, and it gets into a whole conversation, which we have not broached with McMahon, too. Mm-hmm. Is McMahon, yes, is aging infrastructure, I think we would all agree, but there's also some community issues there, too. Mm, with, the, with the sound you can't, Right? Like, it, how did Ozzy Osbourne play there? How, I, does it, how did they do that? I think it's a one-off, I believe. <laughs> you asked for permission. Um, <laughs> but, you know, part of that location is also contributing to, the, mm. to its lack of use, right? Isn't it? So I think, I think the, uh, the interesting thing about McMahon, I think McMahon's a fundamental challenge outside of a major international sporting event. Or, again, not McMahon, but building a, 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 not a single purpose because that's not reasonable, but building mm-hmm. a 25,000-seat stadium uh, that's an outdoor stadium in this climate. I me when I when the Calgary Next project was proposed, I thought it was an innovative approach, unprecedented, of using the fieldhouse capital in the fieldhouse space that's been allocated, and using it as a convertible stadium yeah. that would be used for the flam- for the Stampeders for uh, ten days of the year, and then the the stadium the yeah. seats would pull back, and it was then a multi use right. fieldhouse for the other two hundred sixty five three hundred sixty. 55 days of the year. It actually made sense. Had a lot of other issues, but that fundamentally is logical. Yeah. So we've <laughs> talked about McMahon. Yeah. We've talked about the event center. We've alluded to the proposed field house and how initially with Calgary Next anyways, they were proposed as one and the same. What's a return on investment for a field house? So, again, it's been identified by Sport Calgary and the City of Calgary Recreation as the number one facility need, I think, since the 60s. If I, 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 I don't so. know if I'm yeah. getting my years. Funding right. was moved to the 88 Olympics away from the field house. So we've right. identified the need for a field house since then. Depending on, some people say we have field houses here, and it just really becomes a definition challenge. Um, According to others, we're the only city over 100,000 people in Correct. Western Canada that does not have a field house. Edmonton, by some people's definitions, have three. Right. We continue to have none. Right. So just based on you know, Edmonton having three, us having none, it would seem to me that we need one. Yep. Um, but how do you argue? And again, it's, it's, it's not that it hasn't been on the docket. It's not that it hasn't been proposed. But clearly... Something's not resonating, and it's not getting the full investment to make it a reality. Well, isn't it the chicken and the egg? 
in the sense that, you know, do we have the, 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 the people that would use it? Do we have the groups, the user groups? Do we have that base? I, I contend we do, but if we had a field house, we would have more. So, you know, one begets the other, does it not? Like, you know, we have a, uh, a downhill sliding community here because of the facilities in Windsport. Nobody right. else has that. We can make that argument. I think that, you know, we per not purposefully, but I think inadvertently we've kind of held the conversation back because we haven't had been able to grow it. We mm -hmm. haven't been able to grow the people that would advocate on it, would raise funds for it, would, would go Can you guys it. define, because I think it's an important definition, what's the, what is a field house? What's the, what's the actual purpose of a multi-purpose field house? Well, and I think it comes down to dimensions. And so I think that's where our, the arguments come where people will say, well, what are you talking about? We have field houses, you know, the soccer center. Like, why is that not a field house? Um, I think it comes down to dimensions and size and then the ability to, for it to transition from one sport to another. And so the one that has been proposed, and if you were just to Google yep. Calgary Fieldhouse, you get the images of it. It has a, and I can't remember the, met, the measurements of the track, but it's a full, yep. it's a full indoor track and then a full FIFA-sized right. soccer pitch inside of that track. But that, that's kind of evolved into field houses. My, my old, old version was it was anything, it was a track and, anything track and field that you can do inside, mm -hmm. right? And then from that, it's expanded to turf, uh, court. Yeah. I think you could do volleyball and all those sort of things have now found their ways into field houses, right? And I guess, you know, people have argued, well, you know, does not the oval satisfy that same need as far as the ability to host multiple different types so they 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 will host huge volleyball tournaments mm -hmm. um inside the olympic oval and you know part of the argument as to why a field house is necessary is to host other similar types of right. venues or, or events like that so i think that's where sometimes we get mired yep. in do we need a field house because people would make the argument that we we kind of already have one well i think it's important guys to really step back this is a really important question around the value proposition because don't get distracted by um, something called a field house. And I'll use the analogy to public transportation. What's the point of a field house? Unpack that. Because unless you unpack the value of a field house down to the activity level, you get stuck arguing about a field house. And my argument around public transit is public transit are not about trains. They're not about buses. Those are a means to an end. What's the purpose of public transit? It's about if cost-effective connectivity to, in fact, build social connections in a community, right? Then the debate is how do we, in fact, deliver on that? But if we focus and explicitly get stuck on the how and don't step back and say, what's the purpose of it? Then, you'll have no, then you're going to debate the value of a bus versus a, right. uh, a train. And then in this context, if you sit there and go, what's the purpose we're trying to do? Are we trying to trigger... X number of kids or um, um, athletes to be able to do this this many months of the year, let's step back and say, is the solution in 2020 and 2050 a field house or is it something else? Because then we're focused on the value, the activity, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And I just want to make sure we touch on the last one yep. before we sum up. Yep. So Winsport. Uh, I would say Winsport has seen better days. Uh, and I don't say that disrespectfully i just think particularly with the plebiscite having failed for the 2026 olympic and paralympic games and 
the decision to close the ski jump towers, the decision to start to the shutting down process of the bobsleigh skeleton luge run the the just even in the last couple of days uh you know the the potential of the national sports school closing um it just seems to me that uh wind sport is in perhaps in need of i don't know a touch-up doesn't it best exemplify the active city uh collective in the sense that it's not a a driver in terms of numbers You, you know sliding sports uh, you know, those types of things are not big numbered. You know, they won't have a large population attached to them. But ergo, there we go to the, the, the active city and the importance of connecting mm-hmm. other things that maybe more so than the other three mm-hmm. facilities, this one, I think, best exemplifies that. Does the recent changes to becoming a, it's not quite there yet, but with the construction that's taking place, particularly to uh, the east of the athletics facilities, does that change its dynamic and become a central place and a place that people return to now and perhaps becomes more vibrant because of the both the residential and the commercial spaces that are opening up? As somebody living in the southwest, once that ring road opens up, it becomes another place I go rather than a destination or a place that i got to drive 45 minutes to, right? Now, I think it's going to be huge. So the transportation access also opens it up for perhaps I a, think it a changes. Rebirth. I think it changes the conversation for a lot of people, yep. right? makes it more accessible. And we saw that in 2026. The reality is when people that were voting from a plebiscite perspective, putting, what's it going to be, $500, $600 million into upgrading wind sport in the Oval, if you're on the other, if you're literally living um, on the southeast side of Calgary, Which, and, so and the you two, sit there and go, what's in it for me? Yeah. yeah, and the two, so we met with a councillor yesterday, and the two largest uh, wards in the city are the northeast by the airport and the south southeast east yeah. as well. So those are the two largest population growth areas of the city, which are both the furthest from Windsport. And proximity matters. Look at the uh, look at the uh, the tunnel at the airport. Um, you know, as somebody who lives in the southwest, never use it, never seen it. But I know people in the northeast. When you say that, that offends them because it's something they use every day. Proximity, and that's why I think the ring road brings hmm. wind sport into proximity for more people, which can't be a bad thing for it. Right. Okay. So we've talked about the four facilities and how they bring community value, and we've talked about. Well, can I just on, C- on yeah. COP real quick and yeah. wind sport, which is actually an interesting debate because what the hell's it called? Um, <laughs> um, anyway, so the other side of it is, you know. Um, Rec- the perception versus the reality, and I think that matters, right? So what do people perceive the oval or perceive wind sport to be? A high-performance athletic facility, period. So unless your family, your kids, are going to re, you know, challenge you for an Olympic gold medal and skeleton, you roll your eyes and go, what's in it for me, right? And let's bring it down to that yep. level. Yep. Okay. Uh, is it about... 35,000 children learn how to ski every year, I believe. I think that's the number at COP. My kids did first lesson when he was two, right? Um, but very few get, they, the, as a facility, as an infrastructure investment for the community, it is barely recognized as it's not about elite sports. It's about community. And that is lost in the optics of the Olympics in 88. So now I want to open it up for questions. From students, if I may. Yep. 100%. Okay. So we'll go to the back corner first. Can you say your question? I'll repeat it, and then we'll try to address it. So the question is whether or not CSEC, Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corps, are interested in a Canada Premier League soccer team 
um, potentially I would suspect compete, competing at, Mc, at a McMahon Stadium venue in then competition with the Cavalry, which are playing at Spruce Meadows. Well, I, no, I would have no idea. Yeah. Um, I know we've worked, <clears throat> we had, we've had Cavalry players come to Hiffen games, so we have that relationship. But in terms of CSEC planning, I, I can't answer that. I'm not in a position to do that. Yeah, and I, I, I have not, I mean, the, the, I've certainly seen and heard rumors, but that's all. That's all I have seen or heard as well. I, I don't think it makes any sense at all. We don't need to slice that pie at this stage any more than it is. I think that's a wonderful example of how an active city collective needs to actually work as an ecosystem. Mm. Because if Spruce Metals chooses, and it's a very unique approach they use to, frankly, they looked at the exact same conversation, repurposing capital investment that is used for a few dates of the year for horses, and said, how do I use it for something else? And that is the innovation of the Calvary down at Spruce Meadows. Mm -hmm. That being said, building... A $50 million, let's call it cheap, <laughs> new facility to house a Canadian Premier League for 20 dates a year, maybe, half of them in the snow, um, probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And certainly, building two facilities makes absolutely mm-hmm. no sense. Okay. Another question? Oh, so of the four buildings, so the Event Center, Saddle Dome, or sorry, Event Center, McMahon, Fieldhouse, Windsport, which one, if we were Calgary City Council, how would we prioritize? Ooh. That's a tough one. I, uh, Well, it's, you can't do it in isolation. Well, right? but what if you had to? Well, you know, because you look at partners. <laughs> well, why did the event center cruise to the top? Because somebody came up with a $275 million check. Um, let's be real. So if somebody stood up and so said... So the ownership of the Flames doesn't come forward with the check. It doesn't rise to... Of course not. Okay. Like, you've got a partner that's prepared to put money on the table. You've got several billion dollars already invested into the East Village with this stranded capital called a parking lot there. Um, and you've got the stampede. That's another critical part of that puzzle. So that's why it moved to the top. The, why did the field house not move to the top in 40 years? Come on, 50 years? Because I don't recall anyone walking up and saying, tell you what, I'll pay for half of it. Mm-hmm. If somebody walked to city council and said, I'll give you $100 million tomorrow because I want to move the field house up, and you're going to get 50 cents on the dollar if you're city council, guess where the field house is moving? And I guess Winsport benefits from the hosting of 1988 and the continued Legacy. hosting of world championships following right. that. Yeah. And that's why it needs a partner. Yeah. Okay. And, that, and that's why McMahon Stadium has remained McMahon Stadium since 1960? Uh, no one's walked up and said, I got a great... Well, except, sorry, I think it's important to look at other developments. So let's look at Ottawa, which I moved from, and I sat in the dumpiest flipping stadium outside of Ivor Wynn in my yeah. life. And how did they build TD State Play Stadium? They built it because they didn't look at it as a football stadium. They looked at it as an urban development yeah. on the river in downtown Ottawa. Yeah. Yeah, but that wasn't really his question. His question was, is which one do we think um, is the priority? It, that's not how decisions are made. Oh, so you're just going to... That's not the you're question. Just, <laughs> you're just going to take the fifth on it. You're just not... No, gonna, I'm saying... Not I'm say, I would tell any one that worked for me that the question's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and because... No, and I honestly... So it, these are very complex issues okay. that have systematic isn't impacts. Isn't the challenge, though, David, is that you're applying logic to what is uh, right. illogical right. you know society i guess we it's like who's your no 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 we don't but yeah no but 
that's the question the public asks. That's the question the public asks. What you're saying is you're saying let's talk about this and let's be reasonable. So, social media doesn't allow us to be reasonable. We don't have reasonable conversations. You know that. We didn't have a reasonable conversation through the Olympic debate. It was, it was fought in bits and bites. It, and it was fought based on the question that was asked. And the questions sometimes were asked in a way to get to the answer they want. Right? Is that not an example of what we're dealing with? I knew it's you were going to get fired up at some point. No, I'm yeah. just... Uh, I, think, I think you need... Yes, I'm with you, right? But you've got to fight on those terms. It doesn't mean you you pull back and say, I'm going to fight based on uh, a a Trumpian illogical argument. Mm -hmm. You sit there, move back, and say, here's the business case for the community. And and when you look at the failure of all those investments, my contention is why has – and I'll use the example, Rob – why have they doubled the funding to the arts in the last two years – in a declining economic environment, right, while simultaneously reducing funding to, to sports and recreation? Well, I know the answer to this. Why? Because the arts has done a better job of making their case. The business case. The business case. Bingo. Correct. Right? So they're not saying, I'm going to invest in, do we build a library or do we help kids right. with six-year-old Right, but the library never became built- a public debate, though. What's that? The library never became a public debate, right? The Olympics became a public debate. And, 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 I, and I would say that that, you know, and I have no information, but, you know, if we had sat here and brought that one topic up a decade ago and said, here, this is what we're thinking, your comment earlier about why do we need this, we have the Internet, would have been the prevailing right. thought, right? I was turned, though. I was turned, and I lived literally five minutes away from it. Yeah. I was turned when the, when the, and I'm not saying I'm necessarily representative, mm-hmm. I was turned when the case was built. And the reality is this is a long tale. So how would the, how is the case for the for arts and culture, which is a wonderful precedent, built? It started over twenty years ago. So the return on investment. the return yeah. on on creativity yeah, and innovation. Yeah. It yeah. they've turned it around over a twenty year generational change that says that five year old kid taking an art class isn't and, and as a community us investing in the art class is not about an art class. It's about Divergent thinking, entrepreneurship, and innovation. So when you, who took an art class when you were five, start your first company when you're 25, I'm starting to see a social return on that investment. And so Winsport needs to do that with their ski lessons. The new field house has to do that with physical literacy programs. And it's, just, it's a long... So the data point I talk to all the time, and it's critical, is um, women in senior, senior leadership positions in Canada. What do they actually have in common? What they have, and this is a C-suite board level in Fortune 500 companies based in Canada, what do women in those leadership roles have in common? 85% of them played organized sport over the age of 12. There's a business case, again, for empowerment. There's a business case for equality, right? That is not about a transaction, right. what am I going to get next quarter? Yeah. That's a compelling argument for me is saying we need to be far more inclusive than we are today. Dr. Finch. That's it? Mr. Kerr, we've reached the end of We're class. We're just getting going. Um, thank you, David. Outstanding. For joining us. Rob, as always. Mm, we solved nothing. We have solved nothing. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>